Well, we've been continuing on in our study or series on Peter, and we were looking last week at some of the virtues that Peter talks about, and that if we develop these virtues in our lives, some remarkable things will happen, is that we will never fall. I'd, I'd like that to be, I'd like to, to have that assurance, right? Never falling, uh, to be fruitful, and ultimately to have an abundant entrance in the kingdom of God. That's our ultimate goal. We get to heaven and it's just an abundant entrance, an abundance of joy and gladness at what God has done in our midst. And so we would love these things to be said of us. And we realize that these, these things can only be added to our faith, right? Starting off with faith, hearing from God, a life that's dedicated to, to hearing from the Lord and walking in that, being led by God in our lives. That's the foundation. And then we add things to it, right? We add virtue, as we talked about, that you know, virtue or purity will protect us. You know, it won't, it won't let the enemy in, the little foxes in, like it did with Samson. You know, he had control over the natural foxes, but not the spiritual ones that came into his life and destroyed all the good things that God wanted to do in him and through him. And, you know, and so we add virtue, we add knowledge gained by many experiences of walking with the Lord and coming to, to know his heart so that we can be filled with all the fullness of God. And so let's read these verses again, and we're going to look at a few more that God wants us to add. And so in 2 Peter 1, 5, it says, besides this, giving all diligence to add to your faith, virtue, and knowledge. So we looked at that last week. Then verse 6, and to knowledge add temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. We are going to attempt to add all of them this week, at least in looking at them, describing them. So buckle up. So temperance, temperance, things that are added to our faith, you know, like ingredients to make a nice pie or cake, whatever your favorite thing is to add ingredients and that pops out of the oven. Those are probably my two favorite, but you know, we're, we want to have something or our lives to be pleasing to the Lord, just like a nice cake is pleasing to myself. And so we want to be pleasing to him. So we got to have all the ingredients. Have you ever tasted something that just you forgot to add salt to or some really important ingredient? And it's like, it's amazing how one ingredient can just ruin the whole cake. Self-control. That's all. That's our favorite one, right? Yeah. That's <laughs> the one we lack most often at times. And, and, you know, it's something to add. Because the reality is we can possess... All of these other virtues, you know, I mean, we can have faith and we can have purity. We can have knowledge, even the abundance of knowledge. We can have wisdom and so forth. But if we don't have self-control, we're going to be severely lacking. You know, we think of that example of someone who had so much from God but lacked self-control. Well, Samson, we already looked at him. So another guy is Solomon. I mean, he had the abundance, 
He possessed a multitude of good qualities given by God, described, you know, as other than the Lord, he was the wisest man who ever lived. But one of his greatest deficiencies was self-control or temperance. Right? He, he talked about that in Ecclesiastes 2 and verse 10. He kind of let it, let it be known of, of what his outlook in life was. He sought good things, but he didn't stop himself from seeking not good things, right? He said, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. Ecclesiastes 2 verse 10. I withheld not my heart from any pleasure, basically is what he's saying. If there's something I wanted to do, I did it. I didn't let anything stand in my way. Doesn't that kind of sound like today's culture? <laughs> you know? I'm not going to let anything stand in my way of having a good time. But what did that do to Solomon? It destroyed him. I'm, I'm hoping he made it to heaven. I, I, I would think that God had mercy on him, not because of Solomon, but because of David, that, that Solomon kind of scraped by into heaven. But... Do you know what, what makes Solomon such a, a sad story is his potential. He had a godly heritage. He had parents that poured in wisdom and love and, and encouraging him to go in the right way. And we read about that in Proverbs because really most of Proverbs is, are the things that he received and poured in from his father and mother. But he didn't hold himself back from doing things that were detrimental and he didn't hold himself to doing those things that were the best. And, and really it wasn't just his spiritual life. It was the kingdom. The kingdom was rent in two because he could not control himself and do what was right. And, you know, in one sense, we, we have to take this seriously because we are called to be disciples of Christ. And one unfortunate thing is to, you know, that of the meaning of a disciple, it means discipline. Uh, yikes. If I'm a disciple of Christ, that means I'm disciplined, which I'm still working on, to be perfectly honest. We live in an undisciplined age, don't we? It's not people's favorite thing to submit to discipline or to submit to authority or to submit to a certain way of doing things. The problem is, is that's very destructive. It's destructive to our lives, but you know, it's destructive to the community, isn't it? When people don't submit to the ways of God in their lives. And so that's part of the challenge of the Christian life. It's a very practical one of being disciplined to do what God is asking us to do or telling us to do. You know, one time Pastor Bailey was giving, just talking about his life and something God spoke to him. And, and he shared something rather personal that I was surprised when he shared it. And he was sharing that about his life. He's, he's, he told us what his besetting sin was. We we're like, you have a besetting sin? And, and not just that, he said, yes, my besetting sin is laziness. And we had to, wait a minute, Pastor Bailey. <laughs> You like, you've written 50 books. How, how are you lazy? But, you know, what he was saying was, is that there was a, a capability in him to be lazy, to not do what 
God was asking him to do. And it was something he had to focus on and he had to overcome in his life. And so he obviously he cried out to God and he got victory and he really made that a focus in his life and because he wrote 50 books and led the fellowship and was constantly, you know, hearing from God and giving counsel and so forth. You know, he, he overcame in that, but he had it in abundance. But yet there's that aspect of the need for temperance, the need for self-control. Because to be true disciples of Christ, we have to learn of him who is meek and lowly. And it's something we have to cry out for. It's an anointing he can put upon us and develop in our lives to add to our faith so that we can follow in the way of the master to become like him. And so we add some things to our faith as we've been look, looking at, but you know, there's, there's something we add to our faith, but yet it's more than just adding because when we face a situation where God's developing and working, one, there's one component that we can never escape. It's the component of time, right? For those good things to develop in our lives, we have to continue in them for a long time. And so there, there's, in one sense, it's automatically added if we will continue, and that's patience. That we add to our faith patience. We can only do that by just continuing in it for a long time until God does it. In Hebrews 10 and verse 36, it it says, you have need of patience that after you've done the will of God, you'll receive the promise. We need that patience because it's only after we've done it, we've walked in it, we've continued in it, and God's medicine it, we'll receive the promise. And so really the key in life is get, getting to that place of after, after we have done the will of God. I need, that means we need some patience. We, we need the anointing of patience. Lord, help me to be patient. I need it right now. That's what we pray, but then we got to walk in it. You know, there was a, a writer described it this way. He said, patience is an inner strength of character that never gives up. Something inside us, you know, because in one sense, patience, you could say, well, it's just not giving up or it's not, you know, it's just kind of, you just keep going, but it's, it's more than that. It's divine because God takes us through. He, you could say he creates situations where we can't keep going unless we get something from him, the patience to endure. And so patience is, is a strength of character obtained from God that enables us to keep going, overcoming every obstacle along the way. So we're always going to face situations, or all of us will face situations where we say, is this worth it? Or maybe we feel discouraged. We don't see a lot of evidence of what we're looking for to be developed in our lives. And that's where the faith's involved, right? It's by faith because we don't see it and we can't sense it being developed or the promise being given, but yet that's where we're adding patience to our faith, not to our reality, and so in adding faith, we say, Lord, okay, I'm believing you. It is worth it. It's worth it to continue. It's worth it to endure because one day I'm going to see the promise. 
not just with eyes of faith, but with my eyes, because we'll see it in his kingdom. And so we continue to in that. Um, the problem is we go through a lot of difficulty, right? And we say, well, what do I do with, with that difficulty? Well, Romans 5, 3, 5 and verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in suffering, in difficulty, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Oh, careful when you pray, Lord, would you give me some patience? <laughs> well, how's that patience developed? How's it birthed? How's it imparted? Paul says, well, you, you should rejoice in suffering because it's going to birth something in you, an endurance. You've been through it before, so you'll endure to go through it again. You know, we think about Joseph. He's an example of patient endurance. Um, you know, you kind of have to read between the lines in his life to see what his attitude was, but we kind of know it because of the fruit of what we saw in his life. He had to patiently endure Potiphar's house. And he had that. How do we know that? Because Potiphar looked at his life and said, hey, here's a guy who knows his stuff. He's, he has the right attitude. He has a right spirit. I'm going to promote him and make him the head of, the, head of my house. You know, he had that spirit of patient enduring until God met him. And then in prison, same, same deal. How do we know? Because the jailer looked at him and said, here's a guy who has a good spirit. And I, he's trustworthy. I'll give him the keys to the prison and I'm going to trust he's not going to break out and run away. But he had that spirit and that patient endurance caused him to be promoted. That's something. It was his patient endurance that caused him to be promoted. And, and so we keep adding that patient endurance to our faith, and it has a dramatic outcome. James 1 and verse 4, let patience have her perfect work so that you may be perfect, or as it means in the Greek, complete. Let patience have her perfect work so that you will be complete, entire, lacking, not one thing. That comes through patience. Moving on. Godliness. Basically, godliness is kind of like piety, or, or really it's, it's like the word means, becoming like God, as much as a human being can through God's work. And you know, one of the, the things that Scripture tells us is that God desires that we come to know him. Not only that, that we become like him. One example Peter gives is he quotes from the Old Testament, 1 Peter 1 and 16. He says, it is written, be holy for I am holy. Now, this quality of holiness is heavenly, it's divine. And here's Peter saying, reaffirming, you, could, you should say, God is saying, be holy because I am holy. That's where the, the because is. Why should we be good? Why should we... Be patient. Why should we be long-suffering? Because that's what God's like. And our calling is to, be, is to be godly, to be like our God. It's kind of a moving target. It's a lifelong pursuit. Because just when we get to the point when God has worked in us and we become like him, you know what he does? He shows us another area where we're not like him, and it's like, okay, 
It's not back to square one, but it almost feels like it. Oh, Lord, I thought I was doing good. Now you're revealing some some area where I'm not like you, and I'm we're, we're still in that pursuit, that lifelong pursuit of godliness. It's an exercise, really, that never stops. You know, those, you know, those people, I haven't been to the gym in like four months. I've admitted it now. Now I've got to do it, get back into the gym. But anyway, you know, people who go to the gym and that's their lifelong pursuit, it never stops. You're always exercising. You're all, you know, because if you, you don't, you don't use it, you lose it. Talking about big muscles anyway. I, not that I would know a lot about that, but, but you know, you have to exercise to keep that, not just to get it, but to keep it. Paul says this about the pursuit of godliness. 1 Timothy 4, 7, refuse profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself unto godliness. Bodily exercise has a little profit. We won't say it's unprofitable. It's good because we need to take care of our bodies. But godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that is now and that which is to come. Paul is using this illustration of natural exercise as, you know, as a picture that we exercise ourselves unto the ways of God because it has benefit now, but most importantly in the, in the life to come. If we're lucky, we got 70 or 80 years with the body that we have. So we take care of it, but yet Paul is saying godliness is much more profitable because if we develop that, If we become strong in the ways of God, it'll be profitable for all eternity. Brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness deals with, as as it would sound, how we relate with those around us. It's true in a personal sense. It's true in a corporate sense. It can even you know, progress to the national level. God is going to judge each person and each group based on how we treat others, especially the least. You know, the parable of the sheep and the goats. It's interesting that the context of the sheep and the goats is not at the personal level. It's at the national level. Because he says he gathers the nations to stand before them, before him. And he's judging the nations on how they treated the least, right? The sheep on his right, the goats on his left, and they go to their prospective places because of how, how they treated the least. Of course, there is definitely a personal component to that, that we want to say, Lord, I want that to be in my life as well as in my nation. Matthew twenty five forty. the king says to them, truly I say, and as much as you've done it to the least of my brethren, you've done it unto me. And that's the reality. Brotherly kindness is how we treat those around us, especially the least. And it's so important because Jesus says, when you, when you have brotherly kindness towards others, then you have it to me. You know, we can proclaim, Lord, I love you. But if that brotherly kindness doesn't exist towards the least, And I'm going to talk about what the least can mean here. But if we don't have it to the least, then we don't have it to the Lord. 
you know, the least can have a different connotation depending on our situation, right? The least can be those who are just, you know, they're the least in society or they're the least, um, you know, they have nothing. But, you know, it can really depend on our position and how, we're, how we are looking at people. The least, sometimes the least in our eyes is our enemy. Those who they're not, they haven't been nice or they're, you know, we know what they think of us or they oppose us. And so this brotherly kindness can also fall under the category of how we relate to those who oppose us. I'm reminded of the story of the Good Samaritan. You know, the, it, what's important about that story is that the Samaritans were despised by the Jews. They were absolutely looked down upon. You know, I, if they came in, they were just like un, an unclean race as far as the Jews were concerned. And so in the story, when the Samaritan walked by that injured and beaten Jew, at, you know, he had, he had a perfect justification in the eyes of his race to just keep on walking, keep on going, you know, because they were hated. But we know that Jesus said this man could not pass him by. He was compelled to help him. He was in, because this man was beaten up and in great need. And so Jesus uses this story to answer the question, who is my neighbor? Who is the one I should show love to and show kindness? It's to the least, even to their enemy. That thought of kindness, you know, there's a, there's a verse in Proverbs that talks about the essential quality that every person in life is looking for from, from someone else. In Proverbs 19.22, it says, What is desired in a man? What is the essential desire that, a man, that a per, one person has from another person? Proverbs says, it is kindness. It's kindness. And so that is the essentially what we look for in, in, and hope, what we hope to find in our interaction with someone else. No one is going into a conversation saying, I hope this guy is not kind to me or this person, I hope this person's mean to me and says, says something snarky, right? No one ever says that unless they're, they want to fight, right? Everyone goes into a conversation saying, I'm looking for some kindness, some kind words. And so if we want to receive that, we know Jesus says we have to show it. And so that's something to add to our faith, that life of faith, and finally, last but not least, adding to all of these things brings us to the climax. The fullness of the Christian life is love. Charity, as the good old King James says. Love really opens our eyes to what God wants. You know, Paul gave another list of good qualities that we can put on ourselves. And then he ends that list in Colossians 3.14. He says, but above all these things... Put on love, which is the bond of perfection or of completion. Love is the bond of perfection. It's the totality of every good thing the scriptures talk about. Pastor Paul Karam, in one of his commentaries, he said this. He said, love for God and love for others is the summation of all 31,102 verses in scripture. 
If we love others, we are fulfilling every jot and tittle, every verse, every word, every line. He always, he always says that, that uh, hymn too, but I can't remember what it is. I never sang it. But if we don't have love and we have other things, Jesus says we actually have nothing. But if we have love, it basically represents we live totally for God. In abandon to our own lives and our own will, we love Him and love others. Just seeking to do what's pleasing to Him. And, you know, what's interesting is that love is proclaimed by the law. You think about that for a minute. Where were we told we need to love? In the law. The law says we have to love others and to love, or to love God and to love others. But the only way we can do it is by faith, is when we add to our faith. It can only be produced by faith. The world says all we need is love. I mean, they say they have the same answer, but they have no ability to produce it because they do not have any faith in Christ. Because true love is divine, and it can only come by faith in the Son of God as we walk with him. Now, I want to just close this topic of the qualities we add to our faith by mentioning a thought. You know, Pastor Bailey talks, he has that illustration in his book of the, the eight steps to perfection going up the mountain. I should have included it in, but, you know, the eight steps. But something he says that's really important and, and vital is that, you know, you can, you can have these qualities and you can progress up to the mountain and you can be on that mountain like Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration and say, oh, it's great up here. Let's build a house. <laughs> Lord, I'm going to build one for you guys and we're going to dwell here too. And basically the Lord said, Peter, we got to go down. We have to go down the mountain because the whole purpose of the journey of faith is not to go up the mountain and dwell there or to stay at the top, but it's to go down. But the exciting part is that when we go down, we have something. We have something in us and something can, can flow through us. You know, the, the disciples were, were trying to cast out that demon out of that boy. And they, even though they <clears throat> had done whatever God asked them to, and, you know, they had, they had been imparted by the Spirit of Christ, they couldn't cast it out. But when Jesus came down the mountain and he was empowered by his Father through that glory, he cast that out. It couldn't stand before him. And so what the Lord needs in this last day, right? Because we know in this last day, there's a mighty harvest. But the Lord is not just looking for, for those who can, can flow, but he's looking for those who have gone up the mountain and then are coming down because they have something in their lives that they can flow through. He's done a work in them. They've added things to their faith to do a complete work. And so through us, as we allow God to do that complete work, he can work in his church. And so that when that work is done and we get into the next life and open our eyes, we will rejoice because we'll see him and we'll see the work he's done in us. And as it says in the scriptures, we'll rejoice because we will be like him. Amen. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your plan. Lord, thank you for 
the journey that you have for us and the things you want to work in our lives and what you want to add to us in our faith. And so, Lord, we just look to you. We cry out to you saying, Lord, would you do these things? Lord, would you lead us in a way that these will be added to us? Or we recognize it's a, it's a divine work. It's not something we can just do ourselves. But Lord, we invite you by your spirit to plant these seeds, to work in our hearts and cause these things to grow. Lord, that we would be complete. Lord, show us any areas, Lord, if we're lacking in something. And Lord, we know we are. But Lord, so we ask, show us where we're lacking so that we can be complete in you. Lord, we long for that abundant entrance into your kingdom. And we know that abundance is going to come as we see you and we see the work you've done in us. Do what we pray. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.